You're going to love this. Just love it. Jokers from Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the iTunes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, on FYI Nation. Where I think Desi and I are appearing this weekend, we're gonna we're gonna be talking with them. Did you know that, Des? <laughs> yes, I, Put I it did on know your that. Calendar. Uh, yeah. Yes, we will be on FYI Nation and RadioOrNot.com, and of course on Radio Sputnik. Now, five days a week. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around. Swell fellow, says me. Welcome to the uh, program today. We've got some good election news coming up for progressives. Some bad news for voters in Ohio. It's always bad news for voters in Ohio. That's just always the way it goes. And some, well, just some news from the GOP 2016 clown car race uh, for the Republican presidential nomination. That'll be coming up momentarily. Also, the fight against wholesale NSA bulk spying on American citizens via the Patriot Act may, emphasis on may, may be coming to an end. Sort of. Maybe. Kind of. Uh, with the uh, USA Freedom Act meant to take part, take the place of the USA Patriot Act, at least Section 215 of the Patriot Act. It is now... The Freedom Act is now gaining traction in Congress in advance of the Patriot Act expiring at the end of this month. Dragnet phone spying expert blogger and journalist Marcy Wheeler will join us in a bit to try and explain and to try to make sense of this and and see is this is this Freedom Act actually a good thing? Are we moving in the right direction or is this just the kind of window dressing? To make everybody feel better, but uh, still allow the NSA to do all the spying on American citizens that they want. We'll find out from Marcy Wheeler in a little bit. Plus, it's our 600th episode of the Green News Report today. That's right. Six. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Desi Doyen and I do the uh, Green News Report twice a week, nationally syndicated, six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Yeah, lots and lots of snark. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Sometimes that's needed. We will be playing our 600th episode uh, today. And aside from that good news, our report also includes some very good news out of the state of Hawaii, or as they say, Hawaii. 
Hawaii. Yes, aloha. Actually, I don't say it right, but yes, aloha to all the people who aloha, are home. I'm not saying that yes. right, yes. And uh, Desi will be joining us for that. And by the way, Desi, I, so I did some math there. Our 600th episode, that means we have now done 3,600 minutes of independent green news uh, analysis and snarky comments. Wow, you did math? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. How much was it? And now 3, moving 000. on to our... <laughs> First issue of the day. Yes, I know. I did math. 3,600 minutes. That's pretty cool. And all of them were correct. You didn't get a single error the entire time. Not for one minute. Uh, okay, I'll go with that. Okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah, you should go with that. Uh, okay, some uh, yeah, some very good news actually here for uh, for progressives up out of Wisconsin. That's something you don't hear a lot. Good news for progressives out of Wisconsin these days. Former Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold has announced on Thursday that he will be running for his old job, setting up a rematch. With Republican Senator Ron Johnson, one of the most vulnerable incum incumbents of the 2016 Senate map, says Politico. Feingold spent 18 years representing Wisconsin in the U.S. Senate before losing to Johnson, a Tea Party-affiliated businessman, by five percentage points back in 2010 in the, uh, the initial Tea Party wave election back in 2010. Feingold was knocked out, but the... The Democrat starts the 2016 race with an apparent advantage over Johnson, says Politico. A Marquette Law School poll last month found Feingold earning 54% uh, of the vote to Johnson's 38%. Now, that's good news, uh, not because, well, uh, Russ Feingold, one of the good guys, one of the good Democrats, one of the good progressive Democrats. Politico writes that he is able to unite the party's recently feuding Democratic Party. They're talking about uh, recently feuding establishment and progressive wings as a candidate who is both electable and has a sterling liberal record. The Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee endorsed Feingold almost immediately with the uh, chair of the DSCC, John Tester, calling Feingold a tenacious champion for the people of Wisconsin throughout his career. And I should say... I agree. The Wisconsinite also quickly earned plaudits from Democracy for America, Progressive Change Campaign Committee, and Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who says, I'm happy, excited, thrilled, and all-around ecstatic that Russ Feingold is running to return to the Senate, she wrote on the Twitters. <laughs> Republicans immediately slammed Feingold as a, quote, career politician. This they uh, they use the old career politician ploy as they're pushing, let's see who, uh, Jeb Bush to be the next nom nominee for president, Scott Walker, Chris Christie, all guys who are career politicians. They don't even notice, I guess, what they're doing. Uh, I, and I should say, uh, I, I recall, you know, Feingold during the Bush years was fantastic. I mean, back there was a time for those people who don't remember, for those people who aren't uh, old enough to remember, there was a time back in the darkest, dankest years of the George W. Bush administration when you were not allowed to criticize the president. Well, of course, you were allowed constitutionally, but, you know, your your career, your life would be ruined. The right wingers were banging the drums. How can you criticize the president? We're at war. It's a time of war. We're in the middle of two separate wars. They forgot about that. But but back then, 
you know, they used whatever they had. They used 9-11 to say uh, criticizing the president is unpatriotic. Well, guess who stood up and criticized the president during many of those years who was not cowed by that nonsense? Russ Feingold. And he earned a lot of love from the progressives, from the progressive blogosphere. He was uh, willing to call out way before anybody else was willing to call out Fox News I rem- and and willing to call out his own Democrats. I remember, boy, I can't remember what the year was, uh, but he told me uh, there was a he was out here in Los Angeles and we had sort of a, a blogger meetup at the time. And I remember him referring to wrote wrote about it at Brad blog. I, I should have printed it out before I started here. But uh, I remember him talking about, uh, you know, why Democrats were not uh, coming out and criticizing the president, what they were so afraid of. And he said, well, they'd like to, they don't like them, but they talk to their campaign advisors and they immediately go back into their foxholes. I said, did you just say foxholes? And he said, yes, Brad, you heard me right. So, you know, that was back in the day when Fox News would uh, intimidate uh, Democrats because they dared not win, not wear a an American flag on their on their lapels. Remember that, Des? Oh, yeah. In fact, they called it the battered wife syndrome. I know a lot of people referred to the Democrats intimidation uh, in Congress uh, about that. They called it, you know, oh, they get attacked so deeply, so frequently that now they just they pre cringe. They pre censor so (laughs) that they they don't get uh, beaten up by Fox News and Republicans. And that was during, like you said, the dark, dark days of the 2000s. Uh, so Russ uh, Feingold was never afraid of that, and uh, so they made him a target in 2010, and they were successful. And it's great news, frankly, great news that he's getting in the race. I'm, although I'm still a little mad at him that he didn't run uh, against uh, Scott Walker back uh, during the recall or back when uh, Walker ran for re-election, because I think Feingold would have mopped the floor with Scott Walker. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, it should also be noted here that uh, when it comes to campaign finance, you know, the, the, the campaign finance law that was gutted, essentially, by Citizens United and other U.S. Supreme Court decisions was the McCain-Feingold campaign finance. And this is Russ Feingold of McCain-Feingold. He wrote, he and John McCain wrote the last major update to the nation's campaign finance laws in the early 2000s. And as Politico notes, that law has since been gutted by court decisions striking down many of its provisions as unconstitutional restrictions on free speech. Feingold said in his announcement today, people tell me all the time that our politics in Washington are broken and that multimillionaires, billionaires and big corporations are calling all the shots. So that's some good news there. Uh, on the uh, on the Democratic side for a change uh, when it comes to the 2016 election. Oh, and speaking of, yes, yes, that's right. We've got an update, an update on the 2016 Republican primary contest for the presidential nomination. And this con and this update, by the way. Uh, is is a good one because, as you'll recall, there were so many and there will still be so many Republicans getting the race that a couple weeks ago I said, you know what, maybe it'll be easier if the Republicans who aren't running for president just raise their hand. That would probably be easier. Well, we've got one of them who is now raising his hand. Yes, the, the oddly mustachioed John Bolton 
former UN ambassador and certified crazy person, announced on Thursday that he will not, not be a candidate for president in 2016. After months of traveling to early nominating states and saying he was seriously consider running, considering running, he has been met with the reality that nobody wants this jackass to become president, <laughs> so he's not running. Uh, he says, as I look forward, I've decided not to seek the Republican nomination for president in a video released on Thursday. I believe so they release a video when they're not running. I should I should release a video and say you're not running. Yeah. <laughs> announcing my intentions to not run for president. He said, I believe I can make the strongest contribution to our future by continuing as a clear and consistent adv advocate for a strong Reaganite foreign policy that values peace through strength. Uh, of course, John Bolton, former U.N. ambassador uh, under George W. Bush, Bush never saw a foreign country that he wasn't willing to bomb as soon as possible. So when I call him a loon, that's why I mean he's a loon. He wants to bomb everywhere. That's his solution to everything. Okay, uh, speaking of, uh, well, not loons, but just horrible, horrible uh, campaigns. Jeb Bush. I, and I can't believe we are still talking about this. Day after day, we've been talking about Jeb because, guess what? Day after day, Jeb keeps screwing this up, digging the hole further. So I think it was the beginning of the week he was asked on Fox News by Megyn Kelly, knowing what you know now, would you have invaded Iraq? And Jeb, and so I'm going to do the quick uh, recap here. Jeb said, uh, yes, I would have. Uh, that, that he would have uh, and, and so would have Hillary because she voted for the war and so forth, uh, just like his brother who, you know, sent us into Iraq. And then I came out and actually defended him. And I said, he must have misheard that question. She said, knowing what you know now. She didn't say knowing what you know then. So he must have misheard the question. So the next day, he goes on Fox News or on the radio with, with Fox News' Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity says, did you mishear the question? He said, yes, I, I misunderstood. I misheard the question. Just as I expected. And then in the same show, Sean Hannity said, okay, so now... <clears throat> with 2020 hindsight, Jeb Bush, would you have evaded, uh, invaded Iraq? And Jeb said, well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. It's a hypothetical. That's right. That's what he said. It's a hypothetical. And by the way, almost all questions that you ask a, a potential presidential candidate when they're running is hypothetical. You say, Mr. Uh, candidate, what would you do if such and such happens? What do you plan on doing when you get to office? These are all hypothetical questions by their very nature because they happen in the future. They haven't happened yet. So they're all hypothetical. Uh, so anyway, so then he, he refused uh, or he said, I don't know. And then... Where was this? Uh, uh, was it was it yesterday? Uh, see, I can't even keep track. Well, let me just uh, say uh, Matthew Dowd, who used to work for uh, George W. Bush, Jeb's brother, worked on his reelection campaign, was uh, one of his top staffers, speechwriters, as I understand. He's now a, a columnist. He writes in uh, at ABC News this week, he, he talks about his his son. Who uh, who signed up? Who served time in Iraq? And uh, you know he sent him overseas. Uh, 
and he talks about the time that he dropped him off to uh, to go off to Iraq, and that they both have since decided. He he writes, Matthew Dowd writes, I have come to the place where I believe the decision to go into Iraq was a huge mistake. He says he talked about it with his son, and so has nearly every single service member I've talked to since then. Oh, that's right. That was the third step. Jeb Bush came out, I think it was on Wednesday, and said, well, it would be a disservice to answer that question. That was That's right. That was his third position. It would be a disservice to all of those people who had given their, their, their time, uh, their lives, and so forth, uh, fighting in that war. It would be a disservice now to say it was a mistake. So we'll just pretend like it never happened or something. And Matthew Dowd says, that's ridiculous. He said, it's astonishing to me to, uh, to be watching former governor of Florida Jeb Bush lay out a confusing and convoluted answer to the questions surrounding the Iraq war. Of any question that you should be prepared to handle as the brother of the president who led us into this folly, this is the one you should have thought about, soul-searched, and come up with a clear and concise answer. And that's Republican Matthew Dowd, Republican Matthew Dowd, who worked for his brother, pointing out the fact that, yeah, you had eight years, Jeb, to come up with a response of how to answer this question if you were going to run for president and you have bungled it day after day after day. Uh, Matthew Dowd goes on to write, My son served with great distinction and believes he did what his country asked of him, but he also thinks we should acknowledge we messed up. Honoring him and all of the other folks, both living and dead, is best done by an open and honest discussion about this monumental decision. They were ill-prepared for probably the most fundamental question, he says about the Bush campaign, the most fundamental question that he would be asked in the course of the pursuit of his presidency. So I think that was Jeb's third or fourth take at it. We now have a new one. Yes, just before airtime, Jeb has made another statement. And again, I'm sorry, I don't even want to cover this. But if this guy is going to be considered the front runner, if he's got more money, apparently, than everybody else right now, if he's a serious contender for the, the, the president of the United States, we have to talk about this because this has been the most embarrassing, the worst campaign rollout I have ever seen. And oh, by the way, he hasn't even declared to run yet. He's somehow he's able to do all of this campaigning. He's not even an official candidate. He's not even bothering to report all the money that he's raising, uh, you know, a, as a campaign at this point. How he's getting away with that, I don't know. Well, I do know because the Federal Election Com uh, Commission doesn't exist anymore for all intents and purposes. There is nobody minding the store. They can do anything they want. Any candidate can do any damn thing they want. Nobody will hold it against them for breaking the, the laws. And that's not just you saying that. That is the chairman of the Federal Election right. Commission saying that in a New York Times interview, flat out, saying there will be no enforcement this uh, go-round because we are effectively neutered. We can't do yeah, anything. They are. They can't do anything. It's uh, three Republicans, three Democrats. The Republicans have decided they're going to vote against any enforcement of campaign finance, finance laws, even the ones that are still existing. They're not going to bother with them. So anyway, uh, Jeb, before we we'll get get ready, we'll go to a break in a second, just because we, we got to end it here with with Jeb's newest uh, statement. According to CNN, 
after he had earlier said, knowing what we now know, that uh, he still would have done the same thing. And then he said, no, he wouldn't have done that. And then he said, what? I can't answer it's it. Disservice. It's hypothetical. And now it's a disservice. Okay, his new answer. He says, quote, knowing what we know now, I would not have engaged. I would not have gone into Iraq. So he's just saying it out outright now. It took him five days to get to it. But he's now saying, yeah, uh, Iraq was a mistake. I wouldn't do it now. CNN adds that the comments mark the fifth time this week that Bush sought to explain his position on Iraq. Well done, Bush. Uh, Jeb, keep up the good work. The White House is awaiting for you. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel to explain, uh, speaking of uh, Bushes, uh, explain the, uh, the, the Freedom Act, which might in part replace the Patriot Act uh, put in uh, place by George W. Bush originally. God help us if anybody asked Jeb Bush his opinion on the new Freedom Act. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hi, this is U.S. Postal Worker Doug Hughes. I'm the guy who flew the gyrocopter onto the lawn of the U.S. Capitol building to bring attention to the need for campaign finance reform. And you're listening to the Bradcast. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, whoa closer. Yes, welcome back. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, the NSA may be listening, or maybe they won't, as a new bill uh, is now moving forward in the U.S. House and maybe in the U.S. Senate in a landslide move on Wednesday, writes Kim Zetter over at Wired. The U.S. House voted to pass the USA Freedom Act, which would effectively shut down portions of the NSA's controversial domestic spying program in its current form, the bill passed overwhelmingly by a vote of 338 to 88. And theoretically, it would put an end to the government's bulk collection of phone records from U.S. telecoms. A program first uncovered by USA Today in 2006, says uh, Kim Zetter, and re-exposed in 2013 by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. The bill instead calls for records to be retained by telecoms and forces the NSA, to obtain court orders from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to gain access to them. It also requires the agency to use specific search terms to narrow its access to only relevant records. The bill, however, isn't in the clear yet. It now goes to the Senate for a vote. And there is a split, frankly, among civil liberties groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, or EFF, and uh, many say that this bill is better than nothing. But the Senate will add its own wording to uh, strengthen protections pr before passage. Maybe we'll see, reports Wired. Uh, there's a lot of questions I have about this uh, bill, to be frank, whether it will pass or not. And if it doesn't, what happens then? Because the Patriot Act actually expires uh, at, the, uh, at the end of this month in May. So independent journalist 
Marcy Wheeler joins us. She's been covering legal issues around national security, civil liberties, presidential politics for years. She's been a contributor to The Guardian, Salon, The Progressive, The Intercept, and can now be read, can and should be read, at EmptyWheel.net and on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, good to be back. All right, uh, so I I don't know if if, uh, Kim Zetter's description of the Freedom Act does it justice or not, so maybe you can explain exactly what the USA Freedom Act is meant to do and how it will change the Patriot Act if it passes, and we could talk about the politics of it passing or not uh, in a bit, but just what the hell is the USA Freedom Act? Well, um, so what they started doing in 2004-2006 is um, collecting masses of records, and not just phone records. Uh, we know about Internet records. We know about phone records. Uh, we know of instances where they did it with beauty supplies, um, which happen to be precursors for explosives. With beauty uh, supplies? What does that mean? Acetone and hydrogen peroxide are precursors to uh, one of the explosives that Al-Qaeda likes to use. And so... In 2009, they collected the beauty supply purchase, like large, kind of large volume, but not even that large volume, beauty supply purchases uh, in Aurora, Colorado. Okay. Um, so stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, they, they, so, the, you know, um, we know, for example, that um, the FBI uses it to, to collect intranet records, mm-hmm. um, probably in some fairly large bulk and fairly... Uh, um, revealing data um, about people or ISPs or what have you. So but that, but that's, the, in, that's the Patriot Act, right? That's not the Freedom Act. That's the old that's, Patriot that's, Act. That's Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what USA Freedom Act tries to do is limit the size of the collections that the government can get by doing that. Mm-hmm. And it does so by, requ- you, uh, Kim talked about the specific selection term. Mm-hmm. What it does is it prohibits, right now, um, on a daily basis, uh, well, on a, on a quarterly basis, Verizon gets an order, and the government says, we want you to turn over all your records on a daily basis. And, and the selection term in that case is Verizon all. So everything, um, all of the calls made on, Veri- on Verizon's network, uh, all of the calls, not necessarily the data of the, uh, the, the content of the calls, but the metadata, when you called, what number you called, uh, what time, uh, and so forth, all of that for all of Verizon's customers is currently collected, tracked, and stored by the United States government, correct? Well, probably not. Um, and, and that's an underlying tension behind this bill. Um, let me finish telling what the bill does, and okay. then I'll get into the underlying tension, because that's, that's, that's what explains some otherwise inexplicable behavior. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, it, the, right now the aspiration is to get all of Verizon's records on a daily basis. Um, going forward, the um, com- remote computing companies, so cloud storage companies, and electronic communications companies, so both telecoms and Internet companies, mm-hmm. you can no longer do that. So Verizon, all, no longer permissible. Apple, all, no longer permissible. Amazon cloud storage, all, no longer permissible. That's no longer permissible. I think it is still permissible under USA Freedom Act for them to say um, Western Union, all, which is something they've done. 
Um, they've done Western Union, all international. Uh, CIA has done it. It's not clear whether that's still going or not. So that's that's one complaint I have with the bill is the narrowing language is still far too broad. And still let's, you know, what would be permissible, for example, is Verizon California. You can't get just, you can't get all of California, but if you've got two selection terms in there, then, and it's, you know, and the, and the court decides, and that's all in secret, and so... Uh, basically, one of my problems with the USA Freedom Act is the intelligence community defines not bulk as anything with more than one discriminator. You know, anything that gets beyond that all. So it's not and, it's not bulk data if you say Verizon and anything else other than the word all, essentially, right? I, I, am I understanding that correctly? Right, and there's language about well, they have to use the the. You know, it has to be as limiting as practicable to do the collection, except that we know the government routinely says, well, we need a lot to do the collection. And that's 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 the problem. That's my problem with the structure of the bill is it lets the intelligence community dictate what bulk means. And so when people are out there saying it ends bulk collection, even ignoring the fact that it, you know, that it doesn't affect EO 12333, it doesn't affect 702, um, it's still playing on the intelligence community's turf in a way that uh, I don't think actually ends what you and I, mm-hmm. speaking normal English, would call bulky collection of bulk collection. It ends what Bob Litt, who's the lawyer for James Clapper, calls bulk collection, but not what you and I would. So it, it's still there's, there's gaping holes that would allow them to continue bulk collection under this, even if they pass it, because as we know... They uh, play pretty fast and loose when it when it comes to the wording of these bills. And just to clarify, Marcy Wheeler, something you said, you said right now they can do uh, or they won't be able to do Verizon all, AT&T all. What you mean by right now is you mean right now if the Freedom Act is passed as it is currently right. written, right? Because as it is now, until Freedom Act is passed or until the Patriot Act uh, uh, sunsets uh, near the end of this month, they can, uh, correct? They they can use, they they can sweep everything in to their dragnet, right? Yeah, and even if Patriot Act passes tomorrow, Mm -hmm. they get six months to to replace it. So they can do all the bulk collection they want in the next six months to kind of, you know, store everything and then move on to the new, and the new, so the new plan uh-huh. just for what are called calls uh, is to go to the telecom and say give me a hop now give me another hop there's some flexibility in that so for example um, they could go to a provider uh-huh. and call provider a telephone company and say I want I want Brad's phone number but look, Brad has another phone with you. Can you give me the records for that other phone? Um, interestingly, so now I'm going to get into the underlying tension. Uh, the order that goes to Verizon is to Verizon's backbone service. It's mm-hmm. not to Verizon Wireless. Okay. And so what they're really collecting is stuff that transits Verizon's telephony backbone system. What does that mean? That, um, it means... Look, okay, so I'm on a cell phone right now, and I could call you either using Verizon's system, uh-huh. and right now my call is transiting Verizon's system, so hey, NSA is getting this call tomorrow. Okay. Um, or I could call you on Skype from this very same phone, and it would go through my Wi-Fi, and it would go across the Internet as packets into your, into your studio, right. and it would never touch Verizon's system, even though 
I'm on a Verizon phone. So you can't. So they can't hear you if you use Skype. You're safe. Everything's fine. Yeah, we can have a secret conversation. Now that is for about 15 months. Um, secret sources have gone to major major papers, and this has been largely uh, ignored because the claims were ridiculous as made. But uh, they, you know, they, they went to these journalists and said, "We're not getting any cell phone data," and I was like, uh, "Actually, that's." all you've ever gotten. And I pointed to, you know, the one guy who famously got caught sending $8,000 to Al-Shabaab uh-huh. got caught on a second hop of a cell phone. Um, the warlord in Somalia called a T-Mobile phone, and that T-Mobile phone called a T-Mobile phone, and that's how they got this guy. So it's clear they do get cell phone. But the, but I, but the difference is, A, things like Skype, things like iMessage. I suspect 4G causes a problem, because that's technically not a, t- a traditional telephony call either, and I think Verizon doesn't keep those records in the way that AT&T does. And so, you know, underlying it all is that the program has been useless. Um, and, and just as an example, uh, the Tsarnaev brothers... The Boston, the, Marathon, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, yeah. Right. The Jahar Tsarnaev had a friends and family plan with his Central Asian buddies, and one of them forgot to pay the bill. And so in the weeks leading up to this attack, uh, he had no phone. I mean, he had his iPhone, but it was no longer, it no longer had cell phone service. And so every time he talked to his brother or anybody else, it was over Skype. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an example of how useless a phone dragnet program is if it doesn't collect all the things that people kind of treat as phone calls. Now. And does like, the free yeah. does the Freedom Act change that so that they can collect all of that stuff, but they have to be more specific when they go searching for it, when they ask for uh, search terms from the phone companies now? I'm pretty sure it does. Okay. Uh, and, and no one wants to talk about this because they don't want the terrorists to know they're going to start getting their Skype calls. <laughs> but, um, but they knew that anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are things in the bill. For example... All of the phone dragnet orders specify telephony, and, and they do that for good reason, because remember, there used to be two programs. There used to be the internet uh, dragnet and the phone dragnet, mm-hmm. and the internet dragnet was, for a variety of reasons, legally more problematic. And, um, and so all of the phone dragnet specify telephony. Specify it's got to go across Verizon's backbone. And frankly, they're not even going to the right companies. There's no order for Verizon Wireless. They're not even asking for Verizon's wireless calls, and so. Um, so does this? So, uh, I, I'm, so, I'm, so the yeah, other thing about USA Freedom Act, though, is they consider that one of the specific selection terms they can use is an account that is an email address. So when I go on Skype, that's how Skype kind of knows me for sure is uh-huh. my email address, not my phone number, and so that count as an account that they can chain on. So I'm I'm 95% sure that they plan, uh, no, I'm, I'm 99% sure um, that they plan to be able to get all of this packet transited calls in addition to telephony calls going forward on USA Freedom Act. So that's why all the surveillance hawks should be thrilled because this fixes some really big problems with the dragnet that's been, that's been getting worse and worse since 4G came out and Everyone started moving to Skype calls. So, in theory, this allows them to collect more data. And, I, and I'm just sort of trying to wrap this up into uh, maybe a, a, well, I don't know if it's positive or not, but it, it allows them to get at more data than they could before, but they have to be more specific uh, about what they're doing. They can't just simply 
ask for everything, everything, everything. They have to right. have specific terms, but you're suggesting those terms might be uh, pretty general and pretty loose and allow them to continue to do a lot of what they're currently doing. That risk is more true on the non-communication side. On the communication side, uh, they'll, they'll be fairly limited about what you know, how broad they can go. And it, I do believe it is true that it will be a more effective program for catching terrorists, although with that comes a lot more innocent people um, who will get sucked up into NSA's maw and be stuck there for the rest of their lives. What? So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. There's not very good, you know, they're not getting rid of people who are two degrees from somebody of interest. Uh, there's not there's not a real good program to do that in place. And that's another one of my complaints with the bill is it, it, it doesn't... Um, it doesn't get rid of incidental data aggressively so, enough. So is this Freedom Act, is this just window dressing? Is this not really uh, the, the worthwhile change that is needed that Edward Snowden was trying to warn about, the, the change that's needed to a Section 215 of the Patriot Act? And, and why is it so popular among both Republicans and Democrats, apparently, at least in the U.S. House, is it that popular because it is just window dressing and allows them to say they've done something and then move on, but they haven't really done much? Well, if you look at the people who voted against yesterday, they are uh, almost to a one uh, liberal, libertarians or libertarians. Right. Um, people, you know, people like Justin Amash, Thomas Massey on the Republican side. Jen Schakowsky, very interestingly, on, on the Democratic side, but also um, Jared Polis, uh, Ted Lieu. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're people who are, they're the hardcore anti-surveillance people, and they're saying this isn't enough, especially not after the Second Circuit decision last week. There needs to be some more controls on this. So most of the reason um, they voted against it was because it didn't go far enough to reform to reform the program. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah. you've got uh, uh, people who are against it uh, in the, uh, uh, well, f former NSA and CIA director Michael Hayden, former U.S. Attorney General Michael Mukasey. They're also against it, but not because it doesn't go far enough. They say uh, that it will, uh, <laughs> what was this comment, uh, that the uh, NSA reform that they're talking about that only ISIS could love. What the hell are they talking about, Marcy Wheeler? Why would uh, ISIS love the uh, the Freedom Act? Well, you know, it's it, with Mitch McConnell and Richard Burr in particular. It's I, I I can't I caught or or actually somebody else caught and I blew it up. Um, Richard Burr went on the Senate floor last week and said, "Oh yeah, we only collect calls and IP uh, addresses." Right. And I was like, "Whoa." You know, you just leaked something as big as what Edward Snowden leaked because we're not supposed to know that we have an IP address for Dragnet. And he, and then he said, "Oh, I misspoke. I, I." Uh, we didn't know. He, we didn't know previously that they were collecting IP addresses. That was new. Well, they're not supposed to be doing it domestically. They're supposed to have stopped that in 2011. Okay. They do it overseas. All of this, they still do, and will continue to do. Uh, overseas, which includes international calls. So, like, if you call... I, I call my in-laws in Ireland, uh -huh. um, and those calls will will always and have always still been collected because they're overseas, and what the NSA can do once they get offshore, mm -hmm. like two feet offshore, they can start collecting everything. So that's true. They're still getting all those phone calls. They're still getting, you know, unbelievable amounts of Internet data overseas, 
and um, uh, but 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 it was a tell, and it was interesting because uh, uh, Richard Burr, int- interestingly enough, actually deleted that comment from the congressional record. <laughs> <laughs> right down the memory hole. But yeah. then he had a briefing and told all the senators what I just told you, yeah. although it was secret. Uh, so now your readers are in on a big secret. Yeah, well, wait, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to know that. I just wish you hadn't have uh, introduced it by saying, and then I blew it all up, because now they're really <laughs> listening, Marcy. Way to go. Uh, in the minute I have, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, go ahead. I, well, in the minute I have left here, uh, so what happens? Uh, there's there's still going to be the fight in the in the Senate about this. Mitch McConnell would just like to leave things as they are, and uh, leave uh, Patriot Act and and the uh, uh, the dragnet spying of Section two fifteen. Just leave it in place and move on like it never happened. But what if? Uh, this isn't changed, and there's no vote. And in the Senate, it's a Democrats a filibuster, perhaps, and there is no change by, I believe it's May 22nd. Do, do, do we just continue on with the law as it is, or does 215 expire and they really, really, really can't uh, do these uh, telephone dragnets the way that, by the way, the Second Circuit uh, Court has recently found was illegal. But does that law just go away right, and, and they keep doing it or what? Yeah, they, they would probably move to something very similar to what they uh, would do anyway because they can get that kind of information with subpoenas. Um, they, you know, the, the telecoms wouldn't get immunity. I, uh, uh, and frankly, it's not clear whether Mitch McConnell is, is doing that as a tactic, whether he's just trying to add some more really horrible things in um, and people will get really worried with it, with the expiration, or whether he is trying to resuscitate the old internet dragnet. And 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 I'm not sure I anyone knows. So given the way Burr went and claimed there was an IP dragnet, I think he actually was trying to get congressional. He was trying to lay congressional record for this effort approving that. Um, and so I screwed him up. Well, but, um, I, and and thank you for doing that, uh, Marcy Wheeler. I I think. Uh, you know, I'm concerned that uh, while there are seem to be enough Republicans and Democrats against what the current system is, uh, along with the courts who have found it illegal, uh, that they're going to pass something new. I'm just worried it's going to end up being uh, window dressing and bottom line. Uh, we're going to have the same problem we had before, and we're going to have another Edward Snowden stepping forward to say, uh, yeah, nothing has changed since the old system. I think it's a fair worry. Thank you for worrying about it for us at EmptyWheel.net. Marcy Wheeler, and as I say, you can and should follow Marcy on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Thanks for helping us understand this, and we may be talking to you more in the days ahead because this is a really hard one to make sense of, Marcy. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, a quick break, and then we'll come back with more broadcast, including what Ohio Republicans are now doing to keep voters from exercising their right to vote. Oh, and Desi Doyen, stand by. Our 600th Green News Report is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. What is love? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You won't go telling me 
bail you out. And is not worth fighting for. Fighting for you, your vote, your democracy right here on the broadcast. As always, as ever, not just right before elections. That is actually Victoria Parks who wrote that song, My Vote Don't Matter Anymore. Uh, after what happened in 2004 in Ohio when the last vote was cast, I think, 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning at Kenyon College after uh, voters across the state, let's just say certain voters across the state, were forced to stand in line for 3, 6, 8, 9, 11 hours to cast their vote in 2004 when that vote, that election, was gamed within an inch of its life and beyond, frankly. That uh, so-called re-election of George W. Bush. Well, they're still uh, fighting to keep people from being able to cast their vote in the great state of Ohio. Seems like there's a new story every other day that we've got a that we've got to cover out of Ohio and the fight to vote out there. Ohio House Republicans are now pushing a bill that would require some prospective voters to pay for a special ID card. A statute that would most likely run afoul of court rulings against poll taxes. House Bill 189 would require voters who could not provide a driver's license, passport, or military ID to obtain a state-issued card costing $8.50. The card would be free for voters who are making less than $11,770 a year. The Republican sponsor of the bill, State uh, Rep. Andrew Brenner, says it was needed to ensure that, quote, that is that it is one person, one vote, and they are, in fact, residents and citizens of the United States. MSNBC reports the bill threatens to impact 930,000 Ohioans who would otherwise be eligible to vote, including a heavy amount of residents of color, low-income residents, and college students. A 2012 report from the advocacy, advocacy group Policy Matters Ohio, stated that one in four black Ohioans, about 260,000 residents, currently lack photo ID, as do 290,000 senior residents. The Secretary of State of Ohio, Republican John Husted, uh, went and, and did an investigation, a study, to try to expose all of these non-citizen voters who were voting, and he could find almost none. He spent years doing it. As the Columbus Dispatch reported in 2013, state officials determined that 0.002397% of votes cast in the 2012 election were fraudulent. It's almost non-existent. And actually, it was John Husted, the Republican uh, Secretary of State out there in Ohio, when he came in, I gave him credit. He worked with the legislature uh, for a new... Uh, election bill that did restrict voting, but he drew the line when it came to photo ID restrictions. He said, I want to be perfectly clear. When I began working with the General Assembly to improve Ohio's election systems, it was never my intent to reject valid votes, said John Husted. I would rather have no bill than one with a rigid photo identification provision that does little to protect against fraud and excludes legally registered voters' ballots from counting. That was John Husted back in 2011. You can read it at bradblog.com. Things have changed since. And he's been joining with his fellow Republicans in keeping voters from voting. And we are going to continue calling him and the others out whenever they block your most fundamental rights. Okay, Desi Doyen, stand by. Let's do some green news.
All right, Desi, this is the 600th time I've stopped and melted for you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's I cannot believe this is our 600th episode already. Like, it's just already? yesterday we started. Already? <laughs> it was six years ago. It was more than six years ago. Are you kidding me? I know. And we still have, has, has much changed in these six? Well, you know what? Uh, hold your thoughts till after we do our 600th Green News Report. What we should have been doing is subsidizing the safety of those passengers on that Amtrak train yesterday. Hours after Amtrak crash, Republicans cut Amtrak's budget. FBI violated its own rules to spy on Keystone Pipeline protesters. Plus, this is probably the single biggest thing that we can do in the long term to save the most money for consumers. Hawaii votes to be first in the nation to reach 100% renewable energy. All of those firsts and more on our 600th Green News Report straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Baltimore, I'm glad things have calmed down, and not a moment too soon, because the protests, you saw this, were spreading to different cities. And uh, here in L.A., uh, we were hoping it didn't turn violent, because we do not have enough water to turn the hoses on anybody. (laughs) Too true. This is your 600th Green News Report. We need that water. Okay, Desi Doyen, it's our 600th Green News Report. I know. We just had our sixth anniversary, and it's a six-minute broadcast. So here's my proposal. Everyone who supports what we do here needs to go by greennews.bradblog.com and consider donating either $600 or $60 or $6, $16, $26, $36, $66. We just appreciate your support to help us stay on the air. We are not funded by any corporate interests. We are funded by you, the listener. So please help us continue for another 600 episodes by stopping by greennews.bradblog.com and donating today. Yes, thank you so much for your support. Things have changed a lot over these 600 episodes. The fact that we're even talking about a state like Hawaii going completely renewable for their energy was unthinkable 600 episodes ago. So well done, Desi Doyen. I say you have won the day. (laughs) Well, Okay, then I'll take it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, just hours after a fatal Amtrak train crash in Philadelphia that killed at least seven people on Tuesday, House Republicans voted to slash nearly one-fifth of Amtrak's budget. Investigators say it does appear that excessive speed was the likely cause of the derailment, but they said that the track wasn't fitted with new advanced speed control technology meant to prevent high-speed derailments. On Wednesday, National Transportation Safety Board investigator Robert Sumwalt said, quote, Based on what we know right now, we feel that had such a system been installed in this section of track, this accident would not have occurred. An excellent story, but it raises the question, why is this green news? Oh, Because it's about infrastructure in America and about mass transit in America, moving us away from cars and toward more efficient means of travel. Now, the Obama administration had requested an increase in Amtrak's budget to invest in tracks, tunnels, bridges, and safety upgrades. But just hours after the accident... The House Appropriations Committee on Tuesday instead voted to cut that budget nearly 20 percent. During a contentious committee markup hearing of the bill, Representative Steve Israel, Democrat of New York, criticized those cuts. We are divesting from America in this committee, and it doesn't make sense. What we should have been doing is subsidizing the safety of those passengers on that Amtrak train yesterday. 
Meanwhile, in other news, the Federal Bureau of Investigation violated its own rules to spy on Keystone XL pipeline protesters in Texas. That's according to internal agency files obtained by The Guardian and Earth Island Journal. Agents in the FBI's Houston office violated Justice Department rules and failed to get senior level approval before launching an investigation of the group Tar Sands blockade. In memos, the office labeled peaceful protesters trying to stop construction of the pipeline as, quote, environmental extremists. The FBI acknowledged the breach of protocol to The Guardian and said corrective action had already been taken. So there was no probable cause whatsoever? That's correct. Oh, they're environmentalists. They're against fossil fuels. Let's investigate them. They must be bad guys. Finally, some good news. The state of Hawaii could be the first in the nation to run entirely on 100% renewable energy. The Hawaii state legislature voted to make electricity generation 100% renewable in Hawaii by 2045. And it's not just because it's good for the planet. It's because Hawaii pays the highest electricity rates in the nation because it must import all of its fuel. And doing so will save money now, according to State Representative Chris Lee. This is probably the single biggest thing that we can do in the long term to save the most money for consumers. Yes, it saves money for the consumers. Way to go, Hawaii. For much more on that story and all the other ones we couldn't get to today or in the previous 599 episodes, <laughs> please stop by our website at greennews.bradblog.com. We rely on you to help get the word out across our public airwaves, and we've done so for 600 episodes. Our thanks to you and all who have helped support us. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your 600 Green News Report. Desi, get off the table. Get off that. You're doing that surfing thing up on the table. I, I can't help it. It's the music, you, baby. You can't help yourself. I love ending on a positive note. You do. Well, congratulations for uh, for 600 episodes. Well, I didn't. We didn't have time in those six minutes to uh, what what's changed as you see it. By the way, over the past six and a half years now. I'd say the biggest change above all has been now that climate change is a topic for politicians. They are being asked about it. Remember 2012 presidential campaign didn't come up once. Now it is something that is asked of nearly every presidential candidate. I think that's a good thing. Well, that might be a good thing. Uh, we'll get some thoughts on that tomorrow if the radio gods are with us. We'll be speaking with the former executive producer of CNN's science and technology division. That is until they CNN did away with its science and technology division. Hopefully Peter Dykstra will be joining us tomorrow to talk about that. Uh, what else? I think that's it. we got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, as always, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. To my guest today, Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can always download it at bradblog.com, at Stitcher, at TuneIn, at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review, and, of course, at SputnikNews.com. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.